Volume One, Chapter Ten of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, Rolfe Bellarmin. Bellarmin lived in St. James Place, a small street opening out of stately St. James Street. His was not an august habitation. He was not rich. His father allowed him enough money to live like a gentleman in London, to pay for gloves and cabs and all the rest of it, and was willing to make such an allowance to him forever. But, as our readers will see, Bellarmin had not yet opened out any career for himself in a paying sense. He had been drawn into political life and had made a mark there, and he meant to stick to it up to the present however he had not got any money out of it and therefore he took care not to live extravagantly his lodgings consisted of a sitting-room a bedroom and a bathroom the sitting-room was rather small and it was encumbered as is the sitting-room of every bachelor member of parliament with piles of blue books and parliamentary papers of all kinds newspapers of course were scattered all around the chairs, the sofas, the tables, the floor were encumbered with books and papers. The books that Bellarmin kept in his sitting-room were not, however, the books that he read. They were the books that he intended to read, or that he told himself he intended to read. They were, first the blue books, and then the works of various kinds which Bellarmin meant to study in order to supplement the knowledge to be derived from the blue books. For example, there came to him the latest blue book on the affairs of south africa now to understand and to test the statements in the blue book it seemed necessary to get a number of non-official books about south africa and bellarmin got them with full intent to read them but then came in the blue book on bimetallism the blue book on our dealings with russia in relation to the afghan boundary the blue book on the employment of pitbro girls and all these and various other subjects bellarmin wanted to get additional information and so got in additional books from the london library when he set out on his political career he wanted to study everything to know everything but then came in the social attractions the dinners the luncheons the garden parties the visits to country houses the race weeks here and there and bellarmin wanted to accomplish all that too arthur pendennis said of himself in his position in london society i am in the swim and by jove i like it bellarmin was in the swim too and by jove he liked it one result was that the blue books got less and less studied and that they accumulated more and more bellarmin was loath to acknowledge even to himself that he had abandoned any particular subject and so he would not get rid of the blue books which he had once fondly believed that he could master nor had his acquaintance with lady saxon nor had his appreciation of the charms of mary beaton's society tended in any way to expand his opportunities for the study of the south african question and bimetallism and the work of the pitbro girls the books which he said he must not allow himself time to read but which he did read pretty often nevertheless were all in his bedroom a room comparatively large for a set of london apartments there were the books that he loved a few of the classics of ancient and the classics too of modern days there also were various novels and memoirs and biographies got from moody's library and never destined to be classic at all 
but which bellarmin sent for because people were talking about them and in such matters too his ambition was to know everything on the walls of his sitting-room were displayed the ordinary west end lodging-house frames and engravings but in his bedroom he had some really fine etchings given to him by artists or bought by him here and there and some curious swords and pistols and fans and bronzes and he had a long japan box which contained his court suit cocked hat and all the mantelpiece in his sitting-room was littered with letters and cards of invitation there was no mirror there this was an alteration bellarmin had insisted on he could not stand the lodging-house looking-glass over the lodging-house chimney-piece so he had the glass taken away and he substituted for it a screen which he well-nigh covered with photographs of celebrated persons and of men and women who were personally interesting to him but there was no photograph of lady saxon there doubtless she must at some time or other have given him one but if so he did not display it probably he kept it treasured apart and away somewhere was there in life anywhere a happier man than rolf bellarmin he was young he was handsome he had a graceful figure slender but vigorous and there was an almost antique air of good breeding about him although he was nothing of an aristocrat by birth but indeed only the second son of a very successful business man in one of the great provincial cities the bellarmins to be sure were understood to have good blood in their veins even though of later years some of them had succeeded and some of them had failed in the effort to make money in the ways of commerce and industry rolf's father had a great ambition not for himself but for his sons and as the elder loved business and the younger detested it he resolved to make a liberal allowance to rolf and start him in life as a gentleman rolf took to the calling very kindly he passed through the training of a public school and a university in the regular fashion but he had some extra studies in paris and bonn as well and then he went boldly into politics he had the gift or the genius of success he threw himself upon a constituency and was elected no one expected him to make much of a figure in parliament he seemed cut out for mere social success but he contrived to play a conspicuous political part from the very beginning there was something winning about his youth his bright ways his refined medieval-looking face and his well-modulated voice and let it be added his audacity which was in such odd contrast to his appearance he had an absolute faith in himself after he had made his first speech which was what someone called a rattling success a friend of long experience in parliament cautioned him that he must take more pains to catch the tone of the house catch the tone of the house was the reply of that brazen youngster that abominable sing-song not if i know it let the house catch my tone if it likes or if it can the sage adviser shuddered but young bellarmin went his own way kept to his own tone and before two sessions he had a little knot of imitators he was always taking divisions moving adjournments coming boldly up to the rescue of some forlorn independent member to whose tuesday evening crochet no one but bellarmin would think of giving countenance he despised no one he made friends everywhere he soon attracted the notice of the conservative leader 
for rolf had gone in as what he liked to call a progressive tory and the leader was pleased with his buoyancy his brilliant animal spirits his evident delight in all the life and all the ways of the house of commons bellarmin had a good stock of more or less superficial information on almost all subjects likely to come up in parliament he knew enough of most things to be able to make some use of any fresh facts at all events he knew enough to be able to talk without talking obvious nonsense one evening he came in rather late flushed from a dinner-party with gorgeous flower in faultless dress-coat a debate was obviously breaking down the conservatives then in opposition were trying to make something out of a foreign question on which a motion had been put down for papers on going into committee of supply the government had laid some papers on the table to meet the demand had in legal phrase paid so much into court and the opposition did not seem able to carry on the discussion in face of that fact the leader for reasons of his own particularly wished it to be carried on for the whole evening some of his weighty men his big guns were not yet on the field and he kept looking anxiously at the doors in came bellarmin ask bellarmin to speak the leader said in a voice low as an evening breeze but distinctly audible to bellarmin as well as to the party whip for whom it was intended bellarmin felt his cheek glow with pride and delight to be thus specially invited to take part in a failing fight by his leader was a compliment such as one might have had from a caesar or a napoleon on the field of some desperate battle the whip came to bellarmin chief wants you to speak he whispered what is it all about asked bellarmin breathlessly what am i to say oh it's right information in papers wholly insufficient pitch into ministry you know was the comprehensive and luminous reply and the whip scuttled away after having thrust a blue book into bellarmin's hand bellarmin began to read the letters all dancing before him just at that moment the minister who was speaking came to an end of his discourse with the declaration that he was convinced the universal judgment of the house would admit that the government had produced ample and sufficient information for the guidance of all honourable members and that the house might now be permitted without further delay to get into the business of supply the hint was enough for bellarmin the moment the minister sat down indeed before he had got to his seat bellarmin leaped to his feet after the manner of one who has been choking all the evening with a hitherto vain desire to unburthen his soul of something it is his duty and mission to say mr speaker he began the right honourable gentleman who has just sat down has been talking of the ample and sufficient information contained in the pages of the blue book which i hold in my hand ample and sufficient information i wonder if the right honourable gentleman really believed that he could either cajole or bully the house into an acceptance of the contents of this worthless book as ample and sufficient information the minister in question was a man of violent temper and bellarmin knew this and expected some interruption which might give him a chance of even a momentary glimpse into the contents of the blue book the minister sprang to his feet i rise to order mr speaker he said in a tone of half-suppressed fury 
i wish to ask you sir if it is in order for an honourable member to charge a minister of the crown with the desire to cajole or bully the house of commons bellarmin did not care three straws how the point of order was decided he was only trying meanwhile to get some rapid notion of the general subject of the blue book up to this moment he did not know whether it was a question of home or foreign politics now to his immense relief he saw it had something to do with russia his chief appreciating the situation came to his assistance in good time on that point of order mr speaker he blandly said may i direct your attention to the fact that my honourable friend oh how bellarmin's young heart beat with pride to hear the great conservative leader speak of him as my honourable friend did not accuse the right honourable gentleman of any desire to cajole or bully the house cries of oh oh from the ministerial benches interrupted the orator and now the house began to fill in the eager hope of a scene of some kind i do not understand the meaning of these interruptions the conservative chief went calmly on i fancy the honourable gentlemen who indulge in them do not understand their meaning any more than i do i said that my honourable friend did not charge the right honourable gentleman with any desire to cajole or bully the house my honourable friend put a mere hypothesis there were new cries of oh oh yes i repeat it a mere hypothesis he merely asked whether the right honourable gentleman really believed that he could either cajole or bully the house into a certain belief into the belief that these papers contain ample and sufficient information this ingenious interpretation was greeted with delighted cheering from the benches of opposition and much laughter and diverse manifestations of various emotion from other quarters the speaker rose with becoming gravity and said that although it might have been better perhaps if some other form of expression had been used he could not take it on himself to declare that the honourable member had been actually transgressing the rules of order bellarmin had got all he wanted he had seen that the blue book was something about russia and was quite content once fairly started on the designs of russia and the danger to england from a ministry blind or indifferent to such designs there was no reason why bellarmin should not go on talking for hours every now and then he read at random from the blue book some paragraph or passage and then demanded of the house in language of indignant eloquence whether such pitiful crumbs of information doled out to parliament on such a subject could be held to satisfy the just demands of the house of commons or to fulfil the duty of a government not half a dozen members in the house had read one line of the blue book or had the least idea whether the information contained in this or that paragraph was ample or inadequate the under-secretary for foreign affairs could be seen rapidly fluttering the pages of his blue book to get at some of the passages which bellarmin was criticising but before he had quite time to possess himself of the meaning of one paragraph bellarmin was off to another at last bellarmin's chief who was listening with a bland and smiling face saw that his heavy men had come up tell bellarmin he may stop whenever he likes he whispered and bellarmin winding up with some sentences of glowing patriotic passion sat down much relieved and wondering within himself what he had been saying all the time 
that was very well done his chief whispered turning round in his place to nod to bellarmin and bellarmin felt like othello that if it were now to die twere now to be most happy bellarmin had now got far beyond that stage of his career when a tour de force of this kind could be expected of him he was the recognized leader of a party a small party it is true but a party that had considerable influence in putting the liberals out of office and had at present much influence in enabling the conservatives to stay in office bellarmin's little group was composed almost altogether of young men they had faith in what they believed to be the principles of progressive toryism progressive toryism they held could do everything for england by taking necessary reform in time progressive toryism must move with the age must invigorate itself with the spirit of the time progressive toryism was great in catchwords why not youth always has faith in catchwords when progressive toryism proudly proclaimed that we march with the movement of the times progressive toryism was as well satisfied as though it were really marching in fact was quite assured that it was marching bellarmin represented the juventus mundi of toryism the youthful ardor which believing it could not live without a principle was satisfied to live with the catchword it was the old story of ixion and the cloud ixion believed he was embracing juno while he was only throwing his futile arms around a cloud bellarmin and his friends believed they had got firm hold of their principle and were all the time in possession only of their catchword the elders for the most part had found out long ago that they could get on very comfortably without either catchword or principle bellarmin's social success was not the least wonderful part of his career he had come up to london almost unknown he never saw the interior of the house of commons until the day when he came to take his seat there as a member of parliament he suddenly found that he had the gift of knowing people the gift of being taken up by society he had not been aware that he had this gift he had not thought anything about it he wanted to be in the political world he was ambitious of a seat in parliament and he had vague notions that when he got into the house of commons he should be able to do something in some line or other but he had not bestowed one thought on mere success in society he got suddenly taken up however by this and that great house he soon became a man whom it was the right sort of thing the necessary thing to have at people's houses we must have mr bellarmin of course smart people said all the more because it was not by any means easy to have mr bellarmin bellarmin enjoyed all this mightily he had not quite got over even yet the delight of seeing his name in the newspapers the one thing he wanted was someone to write to and tell all about his success his speeches in the house of commons his dinners his luncheons his visits to great country houses his brother would not care a straw for hearing anything of the kind and although he knew his father would feel gratified by the fullest account of his son's successes yet somehow bellarmin felt ashamed to say much to him on the subject when he wrote home many times he found himself wishing that he had a sister to whom he could send long confidential letters telling her about his good fortune and his enjoyment of life 
telling her what the newspapers said about him and what various great ladies said to him and how kind they all were and how easy after all it was to get on in good london society one can write these things to one's sister to a sweetheart one can't exactly she would be sure to think her lover was forgetting her in the society of people much smarter than she she would be jealous of the great ladies and would assume that they were as a matter of course young ladies and handsome and that they were making love to the lover and that the lover was falling in love with them and the sweetheart would let all this be seen only too plainly in her letters and then the lover would write about such things no more and would keep all his little triumphs to himself but the sister would not mind even though the kindly great ladies were all young and lovely the sister would never feel jealous or think herself forgotten and she would read with delighted eyes every word of praise that was spoken of her brother and would never for a moment think him egotistic or grow tired of his writing always about himself so bellarmin just wanted a sweet sister to write letters to and in the fullness of his still young and fresh heart he once let out as much to lady saxon she looked at him out of her deep eyes and said let me be your sister mr bellarmin i am sure i should like to have such a brother and i have no brother come to me to-day best of brothers at three o'clock i want to talk to you about something very important and interesting don't fail me on any account this was the whole of a first little letter signed j s which bellarmin received after the compact was made it was the prelude to a volume lady saxon had taken on herself the part of a sister ever since the day when she invited him to put a brother's confidence in her she was too young as yet even to affect that mother's place in a young man's interest which coquettish matrons sometimes find very attractive with youth but the sister's part was suitable to any age and allowed of a charming and easy familiarity between her and her adopted brother it was the part of an elder sister decidedly and permitted lady saxon to take the initiative in giving advice or even administering reproof when occasion suggested she saw that bellarmin very much enjoyed the position thus given to him and was quite delighted to be petted as a brother or even scolded as a brother the scolding indeed was only petting in another and sometimes a more captivating form what could be more delightful to a young man than to be sent for to the boudoir of a beautiful and clever woman in order to receive a scolding for not having done something which according to her judgment would have been for his political and personal advancement lady saxon seemed to move in an atmosphere of sensuous emotion she carried her atmosphere with her around her wherever she went her looks her movements her figure her voice all gave out with them that bewitching sense of womanhood of woman's sex which is so magnetic to the temper of a young man the quietest most ordinary words she spoke seemed to ask the man whom she was addressing why don't you make love to me i know you are longing to do it i look into your eyes with mine and i read all your feelings there come make love to me i shall not be angry you may get nothing else by it but at least you shall not get a scolding nor a lecture on morality this was one of lady saxon's fascinations 
she seemed to put herself frankly on man's level to accept him and his passions without affectation of thinking him any better than he was she won many a man's heart by letting him plainly see that she quite understood his sensuous feeling towards herself that she did not blame him for it that she knew it could not be otherwise that she knew what he would have if he could and that although he was not to have it yet he was not to be censured by her in any way because of his impulses and his desires she was not in truth a passionate woman had she been so she could not have exercised over so many men the supremacy which she enjoyed so much the lion tamer does not feel the fierce rage of the lion had she been a passionate woman she could not possibly have escaped the scandal which so far at least had not seriously affected her fame short as had been lady saxon's career in london she was already notorious for daring flirtation there were men who envied ralph bellarmine his position and there were men who it was whispered shared the position with him lady saxon had more than one elder brother in the political world society wondered and speculated upon the meaning of lord saxon's complaisance was he still infatuated blind or only indifferent lord saxon was a man whose feelings it was difficult to guess habitually silent heavy and awkward he looked utterly unemotional he was supposed to be entirely engrossed in politics he had never been a london man in the conventional sense he was scarcely known in fashionable drawing-rooms his early manhood had been stormy and it was said that he had occasioned considerable uneasiness to the duke his father he had gone for racing had patronized ballet girls and committed follies he had built a theatre at the command of a beautiful burlesque actress who had a great reputation for ruining men she did not quite ruin lord saxon she deceived him and he found her out and from that time a change took place in his manner of living he gave up racing and ballet girls and theatres and took to politics instead he had become in a certain sense a power in politics he was looked upon as a sort of skid to the liberal wheel and likely to retard any violent innovations he was slow to make up his mind as to the course he would pursue and equally slow to swerve from it he was always opposed to wars and daring schemes of reform he could make a weighty speech the result of deliberate preparation and careful verification of facts and statistics but his delivery was awkward and hesitating his voice monotonous and he had none of that magnetic sympathy that spontaneity and adaptiveness to the hour which distinguished his enthusiastic and impulsive colleague sir victor champion he worked hard and took as much pains in acquiring statistical information as if he had been qualifying for an examination in political economy he had serious ideas as to the duties of landed proprietors and the abuse of aristocratic privileges he had little time for social or it might even be said for domestic enjoyment in the early days of his reformation ambitious mothers had made a dead set at him but to no avail and he had so long been given up as a match that the sudden announcement of his marriage was a shock rather than a disappointment no one knew anything about the affair till it was an accomplished fact the baroness langenwald had never been heard of till she appeared as lady saxon 
and burst in her wonderful beauty on english society an ample justification of any act of folly lord and lady saxon did not go about a great deal together and lady saxon had admirers but that was all lady saxon was a very clever woman far too clever a woman to allow her influence to become weakened by disuse she knew the man she had to deal with knew his weakness and his strength knew that she had captivated him in the first instance by her daring independence her impulsive frankness and a certain imperious air of mastery combined with that peculiar sensuous witchery that has been spoken of she knew that she was not the more likely to retain her hold upon him by adopting the attitude of a patient griselle the cleopatra part was much more effective and she could play it well perhaps she had spoken truly when she described her husband as her slave and her convenience she had only to exert her power of fascination and she could bend the great heavy sullen-looking creature in whichever direction she pleased but she did not always please to exert herself or even to disguise the fact that he bored her supremely she bade him do this or do that attend her or absent himself and he obeyed rewarded by a contemptuous smile or caress it was her mood just now to be deeply interested in politics and to keep him closely in that groove she had an ambition to open a salon and to make her drawing-room a rallying point of the liberal camp she wished to attract champion to her house she urged her husband to invite him to insist upon his coming but champion did not come his personal relations with lord saxon were not of an intimate kind he evaded the invitations pleaded disinclination for society and then lady saxon had a wild vindictive longing to make her power felt somehow to undermine his influence to split his party she had a vague intention of working against him of using bellarmin as a weapon but first she must discover if any opportunity of discovery presented itself whether champion was in very truth indifferent as he seemed she would make the opportunity and for this reason she frequented the house of commons her humour was of this kind when suddenly by favouring chance she and champion were drawn together for the first time since they had been lovers and now her mood in relation to bellarmin had changed End of volume one, chapter 10.